0: He ain't a whip. He ain't a cipher. He's not a just like everybody is. Which psalm is it we're gonna read and study this afternoon? 76. 76. That's because we are now just past the halfway mark in the book of the Psalms. Remember, each psalm is a stand-alone. I still hear people say, let's read this chapter. Well, old habits die hard. But let's read these dozen verses. May the Lord give his blessing to the reading and study of his word. In Judah is God known, his name is great in Israel, in Salem also is his tabernacle and his dwelling place in Zion. There break He the arrows of the bow, the shield and the sword and the battle. Thou art more glorious and excellent than the mountains of prey. The stout hearted are spoiled, they have slept their sleep. And none of the men of might have found their hands. At thy rebuke, O God of Jacob, both the chariot and the horse are cast into a dead sleep. Thou, even thou, art to be feared. And who may stand in thy sight when once thou art angry? Thou didst cause judgment to be heard from heaven. The earth feared and was still when God arose to judgment. To save all the meek of the earth. Surely the wrath of man shall praise thee. The remainder of wrath shalt thou restrain. Thou and pain unto the Lord your God. But all that be round about him. Bring presence unto him that ought to be feared. He shall cut off the spirit of princes. He is terrible. the king's. Of the earth. We ought to love God's Word. And Even preachers goof and say, This is a good scripture. We're <laughs> all good scriptures. But some of them just seem to resonate, especially in the times that we go through. You may find that if you're reading along in the Word, you come across something that you hopefully have read many, 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 many times. And sometimes we hear it, we hear it, we hear it, we hear it, and then we hear it. Hear it. Wow! <coughs> I was blessed during our conference with Brother Roy Smith. Made a comment that I heard. Maybe you did too. I mean, a man's been preaching, I think it's 63, 64 years. And yet, he said, I came across something just very, very recently. I read it many a time, but a certain message came through loud and clear. <coughs> and that's part of the beauty of God's word. You can read Shakespeare. You can read Milton. You can read just about anything and pretty much milk it for all its worth the first time through. And you read it again and it's, yeah, I've read this before. But God's word is perennially fresh. It always speaks to us. There are some meals Marcia's made and Every once in a while i say you don't have to make that again if you don't want to. And she she gets my hint. But there's some things, there's some meals and I ate that like every Thursday for the rest of my life, I think I'd be happy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not just that way. But God's word always Something new, something fresh. Now, as we were reading through that, there's one verse that really jumps out to me. And if you're a grace person, probably it does to you. Anybody know which verse I'm talking about? There aren't but 12. If well, you guess thirteen or above, you know you're wrong. I consider this the key verse to this song. Maybe down the road, I'd say, well, for them, I think it's right here, right now. I think there's one verse that really gets the attention. It puts us in our place. All through the scripture, we find men shaking their fist at God, telling God, You're not going to tell me where to go and what to do and how to think. And what's God's reaction to that? Second Psalm says, He that sits in the heavens, he doesn't, woo-hoo-hoo. no, he looks. He has such men in derision. Men get on their high horse and men start posturing. They call that saber rattling sometimes. They get to <coughs> puffing out their chest and talking about how wonderful they are and how they're going to stand up to God. Look at verse 10, would you? Men who fuss and fume, surely the wrath of man shall praise thee. When a man curses God, when a man acts foully and fiendishly and he thinks he's getting away with something, you know, even that will eventually work to the glory of God. How does God do that? That's his business. He can and he does and he's promised right here. It will happen. You might not live to see it. I might not live to see it. It's like the story I heard about an atheist who said, I'll show God. And he got made a little sign. That says, God is dead. And he took it out in his yard, pounded it in the <coughs> front yard, and he thought he was really something. And the man dropped dead. And the grass didn't get cut. And it grew and grew until the dead bus covered. Just said God is. to know something. God is no pushover. The God that so many people talk about. They say, well, let's let God do this. Well, I'm going to allow God. I'm going to ask Him to do this. (coughs) Like I'm going to ask Him to to do such and such. As if God can't do it without my permission, without my say-so. Really? Really? Did you give God permission to cause the sun to rise this morning? Well, whether you're those motions or not, the sun to rise had nothing to do with what you wanted, what you allowed, what you considered. Now, <clears throat> it says in verse 11, this is the God who ought to be feared." And we don't hear too much about the fear of God today. People say, oh, God's just a big lovey-dovey. He's just a cool dude up in the sky. He just wants to to give you goodies. He's sort of like Santa Claus, only it's every day. All that stuff he gives you. Now, the Lord is the source of our blessings. We already looked at Psalm 68, which says, Blessed be the Lord who daily loadeth us with benefits. Sometimes we forget to count our blessings. But they all come from God. There are two words I didn't read printed in my Bible. Can you tell me what they were? It's actually the same word appears twice. See them. Sir? See them. Yes. Notice it appears once at the end of verse three, and the one once at the end of verse nine. You got twelve verses. I would put up twelve figures, but God only gave ten. But uh, I think it was Matthew Henry who first noticed that these dozen verses could actually be divided into four neat little quarters of three verses each. And I think he's probably got onto something there because you get one, two, three, and then Selah, which probably means pause, meditate, perhaps even repeat. But you got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve. Now, I'm going to give you a little something that they tell young preachers. It's good for everybody know, but especially young preachers, when they're looking at a passage of Scripture, they need to look for, first of all, the what. What is it saying? But don't stop there. After you hear the what, You should ask yourself, so what? What are the ramifications? What what can we draw from that? What does God expect of us? What should I learn from this? Some have added a third. You got the what, the so what, and then the now what. Okay. But if you look at this, Verses 1 through 3, they talk about the rejoicing that we have with God, who is so nigh. He's right here. He's right now. He's not from way, way back then and not today. No, He's right here. And then verses 4, 5, and 6 celebrate the glory of His power. That's, that's <coughs> what? Those first six verses. And then the soul. 7 through 9, tell the reader why all of us should fear our God. And then 10 through 12, why his people should trust him and pay their vows to him. Talking about Matthew Henry, he also said, It is never out of season to glorify God for the great things he has done. I think it's the ninety seconds. Is it is a good thing to give thanks unto the Lord? Never is it a wrong time. You you're never out of place saying thank you to our great God. <clears throat> Three main thoughts I see <clears throat> in this song. <clears throat> the first is how seriously God is to be taken. Is it fair to say that the average American today, the average Arkansan today, the average Polk Countyan today, the average Menan, how do you call people from Menanian or Menodian or whatever, or Oklahoma, we have some from Oklahoma as well, do they really regard God? As they ought to. How about that person that looks back at you in the mirror? Do you take God seriously? You really should. It's in your best interests. Now, there are those who make a mockery or a pretense of God. We've already read that. You can find that throughout the Bible. We have people who posture, like old Pharaoh who says, Who is the Lord that I should obey him? He found out. Or sometimes people get like, (coughs) oh, Nebuchadnezzar, you know, Babylon, look what I've done, I'm really somebody, people are going to be talking about me. And if you read earlier, in that same book, it tells us that Nebuchadnezzar was warned, don't take yourself so seriously, don't get all puffed up. And so, one day, so full of himself, he went from two foot to four foot. I don't mean his height, I mean his moving about. He was down on all fours. And instead of ordering his servants to come and bring him the finest dainties to eat, he was content to eat straw, eat hot eat ox, eat grass, like a beast of the field. And you remember how long that lasted? Seven years. That's a long time. Now, I've got some meals that Marsha's made for me and I really enjoy them, but I don't think I want to eat just that for seven years, seven days a week. <clears throat> we need to know that. Go back with me in the book of Genesis, chapter thirty-one. You know, when, when people preach on the fear of God, immediately some modern person comes. Oh, we don't need to fear God; he's our lovey-dovey daddy. Well, he is our father, but uh, we dare never be presumptuous with him. The Lennon sisters used to sing a song, though it makes him sad to see the way we live, he'll always say, I forgive. Mm, there's a place called hell that kind of puts the kibosh on that. As I said, go to Genesis chapter 31. <clears throat> Verse 42, here we have this one standing, <coughs> testifying. Thus have I been 20 years in thy house. This is after Mr. Jacob had uh, been with Laban. He worked to get a wife. And, well, he got stuck with the cow-eyed older sister. And he worked some more, and he got the one he really wanted. And he worked some more to get some livestock. All told, that was 20 years. And notice what Jacob says. "Except the God of my father. And what does he call the God of his father? the God of Abraham, and the fear (laughs) of Isaac. Abraham feared God. Isaac feared God. You want to be godly? You want to be like the godly in God's word? Then fear God. It's a reverential fear. We know that he loves us, but we also know that we mess up. You know, brother, brother Den made a comment. He said, "I'm, I'm, I think I'm too big to be spanked not by the Lord, you're not. I'm not too big to be spanked by the Lord. If you have been spanked by the Lord, <clears throat> I don't think you've reached full maturity just yet." So it was the fear of Isaac as he spoke. Of how his father had such a devotion to him that comes out again in verse fifty-three. The God of Abraham and the God of Nahor, the God of their father, judge betwixt us and Jacob, swear by the fear of his father Isaac. Jacob knew that God was not one to be trifled take him seriously. And so, we see him. So many times in Scripture we're told to hear and fear what God has said. I think the fact that he says that so many times should get our attention. It used to be a compliment. You might even say a commendation. To say if somebody, so-and-so is a God-fearing man, a God-fearing woman. I wonder why we don't hear that too much these days. The man of patience. The great example to us, probably the oldest book in our Bible, as far as from the time it was written, is the book of Job. And what's it say, if you have a character sketch of Job, what's it say in the first verse? There was a man in the land of Uz. I can't find that on the map, but that doesn't mean it didn't exist. Whose name was Job. And that man was perfect, meaning he was mature. He was where he ought to be, doing what he ought to do, thinking and speaking what he ought to think and speak. That man was perfect and upright. He's a good example. Somebody wouldn't hurt us to follow in his footsteps. And one that feared God and eschewed evil. God was number one with him. What does God say about this? What has God gone on record about? His thoughts on the Lord. You know, we read in the 10th Psalm, which said of the he that God is not in all his thoughts. That suggests, at least to me, that God's people should always be thinking, what is God's take on this? There was a man who said, I have a George Washington philosophy of ethics. What does that mean? Well, I wonder about something. I pull out a dollar bill and look at George. Would George do this? Yeah, okay, I'll do. It. But George wouldn't do it. Well, I better not do it either because George Washington is my model. He is my example. <clears throat> well, George was a bad guy, as, as folks go. And from what I've read from history, he probably was a same man. But George Washington is not my ultimate example. God sent a perfect example in his son. And if you're following in the footsteps of Jesus, if you're speaking as he would speak and feeling as he felt and going as he went and behaving as he behaved, like my friend says, that's a good thing. And here's old Job. He is commended as one who feared God. be a God-fearing person. Not so commonly said today, is it? But we should take God seriously. A healthy respect for God. My father in the flesh loved me. My father in the flesh was a human like all of us. He had his flaws. He knew it. We knew it too. But uh, when he told us to do something, we didn't say, I'll think about it. When I get around to it. And yet some people seem to think they can do God that way. We were reminded again in Sunday school this morning about baptism. You know, sometimes you can ask someone, Are you saved? Oh, yeah. Have you been baptized? Well, no. But I'm saved! I'm not saying you're not, but if you are saved, shouldn't you be baptized? Well, and I've heard all kinds of reasons. They say, they call them reasons. But does that fly with the Lord? What are you going to tell the Lord? Now, I know there are some people, well, baptism doesn't save you, so it's not that important. Well, it is important. On the other hand, there are people over here who say, if you're not baptized, you're heaven saved. Well, there are ditches on either side of the road. But the first act of obedience, the Lord didn't even begin his ministry until he had come to John and had baptism. So if you really take the Lord seriously, You know, that's one reason why we're called Baptists, by the way, because we put an emphasis on baptism. Not to say that it's salvific in the sense that this is what seals the deal and gets you in heaven, but it's an act of obedience. Baptism never washed away anybody's sins in an absolute sense, but it demonstrated, it spoke to the world. That's the way we declare that we have decided to follow Jesus, if you will. And so, <clears throat> you look in Scripture, and you'll find so many examples of those who absolutely were convinced that God is worthy to be feared. Go to Genesis chapter 42. Now, I love the story of Joseph. and. <clears throat> You might be reading this and saying, what a stinker, the way he did his brothers like that. Why he ought to be ashamed of himself. Well, considering what he'd gone through, actually, I think they got off pretty light. And yet, every once in a while, Joseph says or does something that if they're paying attention, maybe they should have connected the dots a little bit better. Notice, please, and. Genesis 42, verse 18. This was after the 10 brothers came. They left Benjamin home. Of course, Joseph made it to Egypt already. Only they didn't know. Him. And so he's got these 10 brothers, and he says, ah, I don't believe your story. I think you're all spies. We're going to lock you up. Probably called for Potiphar to lock them up. So they trounced them on. Three days. They were in the slam. What happened after those three days? You think they had time to think? On the way down they said, man, Oh man. Just think somewhere along this trail maybe old Joseph dropped. Or maybe he actually made it to Egypt and, and then died. Of course, that was so long ago. I've almost forgotten what he looks like. Maybe you have. Maybe other brothers have, but God hasn't forgotten Joseph. He didn't forget Joseph down in the prison, just like he's never forgotten you. You're his child. But look at verse 18. And Joseph said unto them the third day, this is Joseph talking through an interpreter to his 10 older brothers. This do and live, for I fear God. Wait a minute. These are ten Hebrews. They were weird learning to worship the true God. They're not around a bunch of people who honor the true God. They're in Egypt. All these idols, all that foolishness that the Egyptians did. Surrounded by all that stuff? Joseph doesn't say, I fear wrong. I fear this God or that God. He says, I fear God to indicate there's just, but one Egypt had many gods. And yet, of all things to hear, I fear God. And that's what he did and why he did it because he feared God. So, in a sense, you might say he almost gave himself away. Go to Exodus chapter 1. And by this time, the roles are reversed and instead of being wonderful folks to live in the neighboring area, they're suspect by the new Pharaoh. And so, he makes slaves of the Hebrews. And he realizes they got a lot of folks. And he says, here's what we're going to do. He calls him the midwives. And he says, here's what you do. If that little baby is a girl, you can let that Hebrew girl live. But if it's boy, you kill it. Imagine if you were one of those Hebrew midwives. You know that your life is in the balance, humanly speaking. And the king has said every time a little boy is born, you make sure that's his death day too. You kill him. Well, that's what man has said. But as the apostles said in the book of Acts, we ought to obey God rather than men. As often as you can. You know, Paul says, as much as life within you live peaceably with all men. There's some laws of men I have no problem complying with and I recognize the wisdom behind that law. But if and when we have a law that forces us to deny our faith, that's when we've got to draw the line because God outranks man all the time in every area. There's nowhere we use say, well, God doesn't really have anything to say about this. You need to read the word and see what it says. So what does it tell us? In fact, it even gives us the names of these two head midwives. Look at verse 17 Exodus 1. But the midwives feared God. You think they took seriously what their said? I don't think they laughed it off. I think they took it very seriously, humanly speaking, they feared God far more, and they knew how important it was. So, because they feared God, that's the what, and now we get the so what. And did not, as the king of Egypt commanded them, but save the men, children alive. That's even repeated later in this chapter, and it's not just true of somebody way back in Genesis. For Exodus. Go back to the Psalms, this time Psalm 89. Look at verse number seven. Let's suppose you got a huge crowd, the biggest auditorium you can find, and you just stuffed it full of people. What should occupy all those? What should be the great unifying cry of everybody there? Look at verse 7 of Psalm 89. God is greatly to be feared in the assembly of the saints. God's number one. Whether you're all by yourself, in the cab of your truck someplace, or out in your garden or whatever, or whether you're with a gazillion folks. God is greatly to be feared in the assembly of the saints and to be had in reverence of a few people. No, all them that are about him. You can't be where God is not. He is omnipresent, not only dealing with time, but also in space. You can't be where God is not. He's on the left of you right now. He's also on the right. He's also in front. He's also behind. You can't get away from God. You can try. You might fool yourself. But you don't fool God. There was a man who was told by God to do something. And he said, well, I I just don't know. I think I'm going to do what I want. His name was Jonah. And if you look in the book of Jonah, chapter 1, we read how God said this, he said, I'm going to do that. God said, go there, he said, I'm going to go somewhere else. You cross the land, I'm going to cross the sea. So he gets him a boat, and he decides, this boat will float, and I'm going to go as far away. I'm going to basically go to what is now part of the Riviera. I don't know if they had a Riviera then, but he headed that way. So he gets on the boat. And a storm comes up. And it's interesting that they did all they knew to do, and they still looked like they were going to be drowned. And they they were concerned. And then Jonah says, actually, uh, this is all because of me. Um, Bottom line, fellas. Let's cut to the chase. Throw me overboard and you'll be okay. And if oh, no, no. And then when nothing else worked, they said, well, that's what he said. Let's try it. And they throw him overboard. And the last they see of Jonah, a big old water creature comes and swallows him up. Was it a whale? Was it a fish? It was a great water creature. And Saw that fellow, unless they happen to come back to the land later. But they didn't see him on that voyage. And you know what it says? Look at verse 16. After this storm, and after this sea creature comes up and gobbles Jonah, takes him back under. They didn't say, Woo-hoo! we're free! Let's celebrate!" They didn't sing that. For he's a jolly good fellow about Jonah. Now look at verse 16. Then the men feared the Lord just a little bit. No, exceedingly. You can tell they had a healthy respect for God. Honestly, folks, if all who claim the name of Christ had a healthy respect for God, we'd have to build bigger torts. We really would. We we might have to go like in the Jerusalem church. Well, they had church seven days a week because we just wouldn't have the facilities to accommodate them. We pared things down and pared things down. When I was teaching in Tennessee, we had a guy from the university come down from Martin who said in education today, the minimum has become the maximum what's the least I can do and still be considered a Christian? And so there's some people that say, well, I don't really have to do this. I don't really have to do that. And I don't want God to break my leg, so I'll just kind of throw on a bone with this. And people have the attitude, I'll just do enough to pacify God. You know, little ones get to, get to talking. What do we call them that we stick in their mouth? A pacifier. Babies can use a pacifier. By the way, that was right there before. I'm sure you want to wash it. Put it in your mouth there. But uh, God isn't going to be pacified. You don't just throw God a bone and say, aren't you impressed with me? No, no. We stand before God, and we should stand realizing that we are beholden for him, for life, for breath, for all things. That's the attitude you should have. While we're talking in the Old Testament, because all these are Old Testament cases, I know, but the New Testament will bear it out as well. In Proverbs 31, we read about what every Christian life should strive to be virtuous woman. Every Christian mother should strive to be a virtuous woman. And I'm happy to say I've known some virtuous women. God came first in her life. She honored God. She honored her husband. She was a blessing to her children. Look at verse 30. After it says all these wonderful things about the virtuous woman, favor is deceitful and beauty is vain. I told her this morning that a dear lady passed away in Memphis and buried in Friday. And they showed us some pictures when she was born. Time takes its toll, folks. It really does. You look at somebody when they're young, and energetic, all of that, and then you see them down the road. And if you didn't know all those years in between, you might be tempted to say what Big Mouth said once. What happened? Yeah. Beauty could be here today and gone tomorrow. The outside. favors deceitful and beauty is vain. But a woman that feareth the Lord, she shall be praised. Ladies, if your husband says you're a good cook, be grateful. If he says you're a good housekeeper, be grateful. You're a good wife to me and a good mother to our children, be grateful. But ladies, if they (coughs) say you are an example of godliness, you help remind me of what we have. We have a precious thing in this home. <clears throat> the woman who fears the Lord, she shall be praised. Mm-hmm. Now you know I like Marcia's cook. And you know I appreciate everything she's done because she has guided the home. She has done so much and And she knows what my standards are. And so it's not about, well, your father thinks we shouldn't, but he's not here, so we'll do that. That doesn't really help. She she has always honored, even if she didn't agree with me. Because I can be kind of sideways sometimes. But the one who fears the Lord, she is the one to be praised. So make sure you praise her for that. It's a good thing to be a God-fearer because there are blessings pronounced in the word. Go back to the Psalms, please. Psalm 112. This is not just something that you can take it or leave it. You can take it seriously, folks. Psalm 112, the first verse Praise ye the Lord Blessed is the man that feareth the Lord I think it's safe to say the woman as well the boy, the girl any child of God that feareth the Lord that delighteth greatly in his commandments When you're reading the word and you come across something and God says do this uh, is your attitude, oh man, another commandment. Or, don't do that, oh man, another restriction. Don't talk back to God. You're not going to change God's mind. You're not going to change God's policy. We never really had a cat growing up, but I've learned one thing about cats if you pet them from the head to the tail, they usually like that. Do not, kiddos. Don't go home and just try to check it out. Take it from me. If you try to pet them from the tail to the head, they won't like that. They probably won't just purr and act like that's okay. Because cats have a funny way of letting you know. When if it's unsacked with the cat, the cat will let you know that. Really will. Thanks for (coughs) helping me out on that one. Go to Psalm 128. It comes through (coughs) loud and clear. I hope we're listening. The first verse. Blessed is everyone that heareth the Lord that walketh in his ways. (coughs) It's not do your own thing. Walk in the Lord's ways. And then drop down To verse 4, Behold, that thus shall the man be blessed that feareth the Lord. All these promises about blessings, oftentimes we read they're contingent upon fearing the Lord. If you don't fear the Lord, He doesn't automatically bless you. Hmm, there's something to this fearing the Lord stuff. We ought to take that seriously. And in Proverbs 28, get some wisdom from the Spirit as he gave it to Solomon. Proverbs 28, verse 14. Happy is the man that feareth always. That doesn't mean he's afraid of government. That doesn't mean he's afraid of his boss. Doesn't mean he's afraid of his neighbor. Blessed is he that fears the Lord, of course. He that hearteth his heart shall fall into mischief but to fear always. There needs to be constantly with us an awareness. The child who knows that there's a God in heaven who's watching. The scriptures tell us a child left to himself brings a parent to shame. If you don't know where your kiddo is, they used to say on the news at 10 o'clock, it's 10 o'clock. You know where your children are. Sadly, I'm afraid in a lot of homes in America today, people don't have a kid. Now, they might be on their knees praying. That would be a good thing. But they might be into some kind of mischief. And sometimes people find out the hard way. I know a preacher in California who sometimes... Didn't keep the close track. And one night there was a knock on the door, almost midnight, and the officer said, You know where your daughter is? Yeah, she's in her bed. You better check, sir. And he went in there, and sure enough, the bed was empty. The window was open. And he said, He got her downtown. She was shoplifting. Wake up call to himself brings his parent to shame. And God does not leave us. We need to instill in our children and we don't need to forget it when we're grown up that there's a God watching. God sees me. If I'm sneaking around in the dark, God doesn't need a flashlight. If I'm down in a cave someplace, God doesn't need to get some special tools and get down there and see what I'm up to. No! Wherever I am, God's already there. He knows all about it. He knows what goes on in my mind, scheming and all that sort of thing. He knows my attitudes, because attitudes are important. I think we've got something in the hallway that reminds us about that. We ought to do what God would have us do, and to be cheerful about it. Happy is the man who fears the Lord. That's what we just read. While we're in this neck of the woods, go back to Psalm sixty-six, please. Because to be a God fearer is a good thing. It doesn't come naturally. In fact, many times we find ourselves only one in the crowd, it seems like. Psalm 66, verse 16. Come and hear, all ye that fear God and I will declare what he hath done for my soul." Wow. You have a testimony. I fear God, and God has blessed me. I've been in some tough times, but God has not deserted me. There are times where you're in a crowd of folks, and you think, wow, in numbers you great strength. Sometimes they go this way, they go that way. Sometimes you're all by yourself. Who's with me now? Who's backing me up? Who's got my back? The Lord's got the back of His people. And so, what is it that the Lord has done for my soul? And, I told you it's not just Old Testament. Go to the book of Acts. Let's begin with Acts chapter 9. You know, Saul of Tarsus, he started out as the adversary of the Lord's people. And he, he come a gunning for them. And they went a run, but he kept on a gunning. Well, the Lord, like the man in Texas said, the Lord saved me. And here's Saul, now Paul. He's a new one. He's learning the things of the Lord and he starts serving the Lord. Look at verse 31 of Acts 9. Then had the churches rest throughout all Judea. That's the southern part of the, you know, what was Israel was actually three parts. Galilee at the top, Judea at the bottom, and Samaria smack in the middle. Then all the churches rest throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria. So all three parts. God's people were rejoicing. And they were edified. They were built up in the faith. (coughs) They were doing the right thing and for the right reason. Gave God the glory. And what else did it say? And walking in the fear of the Lord. Some people seem to observe the Passover (laughs) on that. But they walked in the fear. This is a New Testament church. Churches, actually, they walked in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Ghost. And these people, it says, were multiplied. Hmm. Now, what do you suppose would happen if you're in your workplace tomorrow and your co-workers say, how was church yesterday? Well, I'll tell you what. We did had have a time. We got to romping and stomping and carrying on, and woohoo! We just had us a ton. What the preacher preached? about? I don't know. What songs is? It? I don't remember. I just, I just got a good feeling. That's what some they just want a good feeling. Well, what does it do to your soul to think of how God has transformed you? The great promise that we have, and the presence that we have of the lord right here right now that should excite us you know some people all they want to talk about is heaven <coughs> now no problem thinking about heaven but right here right now we got to work to do folks we gotta we gotta have a task and we need to take that so so seriously look at let's say chapter 13 verse 16. Paul gets up to speak. Now, I could be wrong. I've been wrong before. I'll be wrong again. But I suspect that there were people that were hearing this gospel, and the Lord is working in their minds and in their hearts. But the Lord has a way of tenderizing our hearts, and I suspect tenderizing our heads too prepping us, if you will, for that great thing that he's going to do. You know, even human birth, it takes nine months for that child to gestate. You know, it's it's not like, let's have a baby and then, five minutes later, hey, we now have a baby. It doesn't happen that way. a long process. Something's going on. Well, spiritually, something's going on. And there are some people who seem to be stirred. That doesn't mean God can't save you just like that. Because ultimately, when He does bring in regeneration, when the Holy Spirit comes and gives life, sight, hearing, feeling, all of that. That's a radical transformation. You don't schmooze through it. But I believe there's a time... With many people where you know we get exposed to it, just like you know, folks come to church and they come and they hear it and they hear it and they hear it, and then one day they hear it. Wow, that's great. So I think Paul was talking to some who had heard it and some who were kind of sort of here. it. I think that's what it means when he says in verse sixteen: then Paul stood up and beckoning with his hand, said, Men of Israel. And ye that fear God. Evidently there are some people who were, as the old preachers used to say, exercised. They you know, maybe there's something to this Jesus thing. Maybe I to take it seriously. Like those folks that heard Paul at Mars Hill and said, we'll, we would hear you again of this. So Paul makes reference specifically and ye that fear God, give audience. You want to listen to this. You want to hear what i got to say. And then again in verse 26. Men and brethren, children of the stock of Abraham, and whosoever among you, you are Gentile. Whosoever among you feareth God, to you is the word of this salvation source. He doesn't say, those of you who can take it or leave it, those of you who have a casual curiosity, no, if you have been moved to, sense in some way a fear of God, I believe that's the Spirit. Now, I don't know that I can tell by how much a person perspires or whatever, if they're under conviction or anything like that, but I believe the Lord has His ways of working in the heart. So, many a time we read about a blessing on those who fear God. And it is a good thing. There's nothing dirty about it. There's nothing disgusting about it. There's nothing to be ashamed about it. In fact, many of us have learned in the 19th Psalm, it says in verse 9, the fear of the Lord is clean. If you're afraid of the boogeyman, I got news for you. That's just something somebody made up to try to put a fear, put a spear into you. But the Lord is real. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. If you learn to truly fear God when you're eight years old and you live to be 88, you should still fear God probably even more so you have seen how the God is one of great power you imagine the Hebrews when they came with Moses I mean they leave Egypt the greatest nation on the face of the earth and they're in the desert and God provides for them he gets some water he gets some food they come to the Red Sea he parts the Red Sea for them to pass through what about those Egyptians? Here they come! And boop, 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 are boop. They go. Wow! No wonder people say, What a mighty God we serve. He's no push over. He's no nitwit. He's not somebody who says, Let's just deal with it as it comes, you know. Cross that bridge when it comes, when we come to it. That's not the Lord of the Scripture. So it's a good thing. It's a clean thing to be a God-fearer. In 1 Peter 2.17, it says, Fear God. The New Testament tells us, we, New Testament Christians, are to fear God. Not just that, some did, but we are to as well. If you don't fear God, God can get a hold of you, and He can put His fear into you, he can make you wish that you've gotten with the program. And so, when we look into the Scripture, you, you find it all through the work. It's not like God only said it once or twice. We haven't gotten to the 96, but I just want to remind you in verse 4 of Psalm 96, The Lord is great, and greatly to be praised, and some folks stop right there. Let's praise God. Let's praise God. That's fine. Praise God. But the why. We got the what, but the someone. He is to be feared above all gods. If somebody says, I'm going to put a spell on you, or whatever, and they say something in the name of some, I'm really not afraid of Dagon. I'm really not afraid of Zeus, I'm really not afraid of gods of any people, but I do fear the true God, the God of this book, the God who identified us, the God of Abraham and Isaac and of Jacob, the God of David, the God of Samuel, the God of Daniel, the God of the apostles. God who sent his only begotten son. We are to take him seriously. He is to be feared above all gods. I know there are some people they would uh, they dedicate their life to this God or that God or some of the things they think is so important but it's the Lord. He's the one truly to be praised. So many scriptures have uh, as often I have more in my notes that I can to give you, but uh, I'd be glad to give you something more if you, if you ask afterward. Let's go back to our 76th Psalm. Twice we read, God ought to be feared. It's true that He is feared, but it's a good thing. Something we ought to do. Work kind on of your God-feared. Work on realizing that God is in control of every inch. There's nowhere, no corner of your life that God, you can say, stay out of this. This is mine. I've got my secret little spot. and You can't go there. Don't you invade that. God's already there. I was reading this week about a man named Abraham Kuyper who brought it out to people loud and clear. We're not really Christian in thought until we realize that every sphere, everything that we involve ourselves with, every penny we spend, every moment we spend, every bit of energy we expend ought to be done with a view to our great God. Twice we've been in this psalm. You know, I come from a place where we had these convenience stores called 7-Eleven. And they had a little motto, Oh, thank heaven for 7-Eleven. Well, look at 7 and 11. They both tell us, 7 says, Thou even thou art to be feared. And then 11, Thou and pay unto the Lord your God. Let all that be round about him bring presents unto him that ought to be feared. On my birthday, people give me presents. so I say, thank you very much. On other occasions, people bring you presents. you so say, thank you very much. Well, God didn't have a birthday because he wasn't born. But what do you bring to the Lord? Does the Lord get just whatever's left over? If there's nothing, well, maybe next year, Lord. You going to do God that way? I hope we don't. Hope we don't even think that way. Hope we realize he's number one. He's had the preeminence, not just the promise. But stand for word of prayer.